0: Good morning, church. I love that song. I love singing that song with all of you, uh, because I know that you're singing it not because all of your circumstances are perfect, uh, but you're singing it because you've experienced Christ sustaining you even in the midst of the storm and in the midst of the trial. And that's what makes him glorious. Not that he takes all of our troubles away, but he can actually uphold us in the midst of our troubles and trials. If you have your Bibles, open up to Colossians chapter 2. I don't know if you've ever had the experience, maybe in your Christian life, where you felt like, am I missing something? You know, I remember Jesus saying something about the abundant life, you know, that I'd have victory and growth and blessing, and yet, my life doesn't feel very abundant right now. Maybe you're struggling with a particular sin, and it just feels like you're not seeing the victory, or maybe it's, you're going through a difficult trial, and it doesn't seem like it's going to end or maybe just a period of dryness where it just, like, my life just doesn't feel very abundant. You ask yourself the question, well, what am I missing, right? I see my friends on Facebook. I see them on Instagram, and it looks like everything's fine. They're having fun. They're having a good time. You know, what do they got that I don't got? Where do I go if I want to experience, you know, this kind of wonderful relationship with God? If I want to experience his blessings, if I want to see fruitfulness in my life, where do I go? And I think that's really the issue that Paul's addressing here in Colossians chapter two is that sometimes life doesn't feel very abundant and it's in those times in particular that we're tempted to look for solutions outside of Christ, right? Yeah, Christ is good, my sins are forgiven, I'm going to heaven, that's all great, but I want something now. So what do I need now? What do I need to to overcome this sin? What do I need to find joy in the midst of this trial? There must be something that I'm missing, And this text is all about where we should not go when we feel like something's missing and where we should go, and that's always back to Christ. So let's read a few of these verses just as an introduction. Colossians 2, verse 16 to 19. Where do I go when I want to experience these wonderful things from God again? Verse 16, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a sabbath in other words don't go to a ritual to try to get back in into a good relationship with god why verse 17 these are just a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to christ He goes on, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. In other words, don't go to religious experiences, visions, prophecies, don't go there. Why? Because the people that go that direction, verse 19, are not holding fast to the head, they're not holding fast to Christ. And why is that a bad thing? Well, it's because from Christ, the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. You want to see supernatural results in your life, where do you go? To Christ, to the head, right? All growth comes from Him. If you want the kind of growth described in verse 19, the kind of growth where someone looks at your life and they say, How is this possible? How is it possible that this person who I knew 10 years ago, they used to live like I lived, and now they're living this completely different life? How is that possible? One explanation it's a growth that's from God through Christ. If you want to experience that, you stay focused on Christ, you don't go anywhere else. So, the title of this sermon is Three Steps to Guaranteed Supernatural Results. And I titled it that as a little tongue-in-cheek because I think that's what's going on in the book of Colossians, right? Things are, maybe you're struggling a little bit and people come in and they say, well, we have the solution to all your problems, right? Christ was great, but if you really wanna grow, you need this. You need these three steps. You need this program, you need this ritual, you need this experience, and then you'll really grow. But I wanna give you Paul's three steps to supernatural growth, guaranteed supernatural growth. Step one, stay focused on Christ. Let's pray and then we'll dive in. Father, what we most need is what you've already given to us, your Son. In him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and in him, we have also been filled. He's everything that we need. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You've given us all things pertaining to life and godliness through your son, through his word. So Lord, just help us to stay focused on Christ. May we look nowhere else and may we see great results in our life. True growth. Not, you know, just the absence of problems and just victory in every area, you know, and success in our jobs and all that kind of stuff. No, we want real growth from God. Growth from the heart. Growth that gives us joy even in the midst of our trials. Peace and, you know, and freedom from anxiety even when our jobs are not going the way that they want. That's the abundant life. And so, Lord, remind us of that, what we have in Christ this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So three steps. Step one, stay focused on Christ. The first word of verse 16 is, Therefore meaning everything that he's about to say is built on everything he just said about Christ, right? So if we want to stay focused on Christ, we want to remember everything that he wrote in verses nine through 15. So what did he write in verses nine to 15? Well, in the first two verses there, Christ gives you total access to the fullness of God. Look at verse nine. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily jesus is fully god not sort of partly god and partly man no he's fully god the fullness of deity dwells in him and we have access to him look at verse 10 and you have been filled in him so he has the fullness of god and if you're in him you now have access to the fullness of god all his power, all his love, all his wisdom. You have access to that by being in Christ. I mean, John 1, says it this way, from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. The idea is like just grace after grace after grace after grace pouring down on us through the Son, everything that you could possibly need through him. One commentator said, we have unrestricted access to the divine power which can shape us into the divine image. Unrestricted access in Christ to everything you could possibly need to make you more like him. You cannot get a more fulfilling experience than being in Christ. No rule, no religious activity, no experience can be more life changing and life giving than being in Christ. Yeah. Everything you need is in Him. The abundant life flows out of Him to you. And so, what have we received from His fullness? Well, we've received countless blessings. Paul highlights two that Tim preached about last week. In Christ, out of His fullness, we have received radical transformation. Look at verse 11 in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead the greatest blessing that you've received as a result of being in Christ is that you have a transformed heart that's what he means when it says the circumcision made without hands it's referring to the fact that he gave you heart surgery look at deuteronomy chapter 30 deuteronomy 30 verse 6 it describes the work that god did this heart surgery that god did in your life in christ deuteronomy 30 verse 6 it says the lord your god will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. That's the circumcision made without hands. A work that God's going to do in the heart. Why is he going to do this in verse 6? So that what? You will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. You needed a new heart to experience the love of God so that you could love God. You needed a new heart and that's exactly what he gave you right? Your old heart, you couldn't love God, right? He circumcised your heart so that you can love God, and that you would live, and he gave that to you in Christ. More than that, it wasn't just heart surgery, it was actually heart transplant. That was the nature, the kind of surgery that you need. It was a heart transplant. Ezekiel 36, you don't have to turn there, but what does that say? It says that he took out of you a heart of stone. And he put into you a heart of flesh for the same reason, so that you would love God, that you would love to do what he says. That's what you most needed, and he gave it to you in Christ. He's radically transformed you. From his fullness, you've received these gifts. Back in Colossians chapter 2, so you received a total transformation in verses 11 and 12. You received total triumph in verses 13 to 15. He conquered all your enemies through the cross, and all his enemies through the cross. Verse 13, you were dead, right? He conquered death. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but what did God do? He made you alive together with him. How did he do that? You had sin. He conquered that too. Having forgiven us all our trespasses, how? Verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, He set them aside, nailing it to the cross. He conquered death so that he could give you life. He conquered sin so that you could find forgiveness. And then he's conquered every enemy that you could possibly face. In verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He conquered Satan so that you could be free, so that you could enjoy freedom in this life. I mean, who did all these things? Christ, right? Who offers all these things? Christ, life, forgiveness, redemption, a changed heart, deliverance from the power of sin. Where does all that come from? Christ and Christ alone. So what do you need? Do you need joy and strength to endure a difficult trial? Where are you going to get it? From Christ. Do you need wisdom for a difficult situation? where's it going to come from christ do you need freedom from a stubborn sin then go to christ from his fullness we have all received grace after grace after grace where else are you going to turn nowhere he's the only step step one stay focused on christ you know in Jesus' ministry many different people left him for different reasons on one such occasion after all these people were leaving him because they didn't like the things that he was saying he asked his disciples are you going to leave me too and what did the disciples say where else are we going to go right you have the words of eternal life and we want to follow you that's what it is for us where else could we possibly go where we could find the things that christ alone offers nowhere else nowhere else. We just received grace after grace after grace from Him. You know, when I was a kid, my parents got me one of the greatest gifts you could ever give a child. Uh, they went to a silent auction for one of my parents' works, uh, and they won for me an unlimited supply of pizza for one year at this auction, right? The greatest gift you could possibly have as a kid, I don't know, you know, every health issue I have from here on out the rest of my life, I'll attribute back to that year where I had unlimited pizza. But I could call up this pizza place anytime, and I could tell them, hey, I have an unlimited supply of pizza this year. I'd like it to be delivered. You know, the hardest part about that deal was convincing the person I was talking to on the phone that I actually did have a a right to unlimited pizza for a year. You know, they'd say, well, what's your credit card number? It's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't need to pay for the pizza. I've already won this through my parents. Never ending supply, pizza after pizza, Every day for a year, but they would say, "Well, no, it can't be that simple, right? There must be some catch. You must have to do something. You must have to pay something." And I think that's really what's going on in the Book of Colossians, right? I mean, Paul is going out of his way to describe you have unbelievable riches in Christ, everything you could possibly need, and we're on the other end of the phone saying, "Well, no, no, it can't can't be that. It can't be that simple." I mean, I must have to do something, right? I mean, there must be a rule that I have to follow, a ritual that I need to do, an experience that I need to have to access all these things. It can't be that simple. But Paul's saying it is that simple. What Christ did on the cross has done everything necessary for you to receive grace after grace after grace for the rest of your life. So, step one stay focused on Christ. Step two pursue no other steps. Right? That's what this passage is really all about. Every misstep that you could possibly take that will wreck your growth. Not impede your growth, not slow your growth, but they will completely wreck and derail your growth. If you pursue any other step other than Christ, you will not grow at all. Zero won't grow. Look at verse 19. He says that these people that are given to visions... Right? They're not holding fast to the head. What do we receive from being connected to Christ? We receive at the end of verse 19 growth that is from God. Right? If you go away from Christ, what are you not going to receive in verse 19? Growth that comes from God. Look at verse 23. He says it even more directly. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So everything he's about to describe, every misstep that you could possibly take, it is of no value to you. Not it's going to help you a little bit, not like, oh, it'll just slow you. No, it's no value, no growth. If you pursue these things, you'll remove yourself from the fountain of Christ and you will not grow. So what are these things? So he lists three different things in these verses. First is this, verse 16 and 17. Shadow over substance. Shadow over substance. Verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Right, what is he describing? He says food, drink, festivals, new moon, Sabbath. These are Old Testament Jewish religious practices. And you can understand why you know, Jewish Christians would be very much inclined to think that these must continue. I mean, we've been doing these things every single day of our lives, every week, every month. We've been holding fast to these rituals that we've done. This is what it means to be a Jewish person. And Paul's saying No. Those things aren't what make you a Jewish person, right? These things don't make you a Christian. These things pointed to Christ, right? They were shadows, shadows pointing you to Christ. I mean, think about it. What what were the food and the drink laws supposed to do? They were supposed to make you distinct, right? Israel was supposed to be distinct from every other nation. How are we distinct from every other people in the world? We know Christ, right we have a changed heart that's what makes us distinct right all the food laws were pointing to that now that he's come you don't need those anymore how about the festivals the sabbath all of those things well all many of the festivals were celebrating god's past deliverance and they were looking forward to god's ultimate deliverance have we been ultimately delivered absolutely through who through Christ. So we don't need the festival anymore. We don't need to look forward to something that's going to happen later. We have Christ. We rejoice in him now. The Sabbath, that you would find rest from your labors. Do we have rest from our labors? Absolutely. Where do we have it? In Christ. The substance is here. Everything that those things pointed to is here. We don't need those anymore. I mean, why would you get fixated on the shadow When the person is standing right behind you Look at him We don't need the shadows anymore Now most of us are probably not going to be tempted To go back to Old Testament Jewish laws Those sometimes Christians today Even will go back to those things But we have to think what's Paul talking about Paul's talking about those things That become so ingrained in our lives That we equate being a Christian With doing certain things So what are those? you don't read your bible every day like are you even a christian right you don't go to sunday school i mean especially when pastor todd's teaching you don't go to Sundays. it's like are you even a christian if you don't do that you don't go to prayer meeting on wednesday night there's only about 12 real believers at this church i think you don't do door-to-door evangelism you don't homeschool your children you celebrate halloween These are the kinds of things that we can start to buy into as this is what makes you a Christian. And Paul's saying, don't fall for that. Don't be intimidated by that. I mean, think about the last two years with COVID. You wear a mask? It's like, do you even trust God? You don't wear a mask? That's not very Christ-like. Christ loved his neighbors. So it doesn't matter what side you're on. What we do is we start to equate certain religious rituals with that's what it means to be a christian and paul's saying no what it means to be a christian is to have your heart totally transformed by christ that's what it means and that's going to lead you to do all kinds of different things but none of those things make you a christian those are just things you do because you're a christian paul says in romans 14 the kingdom of god is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, right? The temptation of all of these is that they draw your focus away from Christ. That when you think about your spiritual life, you think about tasks, reading my Bible, praying every day. And again, these aren't bad things. These aren't things we should be doing, but they don't define, they don't make us a Christian. They don't invite God's special blessing into our lives. They don't force God's hand to bless us. He blesses us because we're in Christ, So don't be intimidated. People are going to come at you your whole life saying, why don't you do this? Or why do you do this? Don't be intimidated. You stick to Christ. And you'll have everything that you need. So that's first, shadow over substance. Second is this, a sensuous mind versus the life-giving head in verses 18 and 19. Verse 18, he says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind so what's paul talking about paul's talking about a group of people they would be doing these ascetic practice, practices in verse 18 really they're kind of the word there is humility so they're sort of delighting in humility right they're thinking we're so very humble that we're inviting these wonderful blessings of God into our lives because of our great humility. We're fasting, we're praying, we're denying ourselves. And as we do that, we get to partake in things like the worship of angels. So it's probably not that these people are worshiping angels. I think most Christians understand that's a bad thing. What's probably happening is that they're saying, oh, we do all of these humble things, and as we do those, we get to participate in the kind of worship that the angels offer to God. We, get, we have a special kind of worship that we do because we're so humble. And then they have these visions that correspond with that. We hear from God. We see visions. We hear God's voice. We do all that. Because we're so humble, we do these things, we get to participate on sort of a higher level of spirituality than everybody else. But where are all these things actually coming from? Where are these visions coming from in verse 18? puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. These visions aren't from God. Whatever voice they're hearing is not from God. It's a product of their own mind. And this has been happening from the beginning. Look at Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23. prophets who are prophesying really just things that are in their own minds have nothing to do with what God wants or says Jeremiah 23 verse 16 thus says the Lord of hosts do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you filling you with vain hopes they speak visions of their own minds not from the mouth of the Lord They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. So God's people are going to these prophets, right? And God's bringing a judgment in the case of Jeremiah. And these prophets are just telling people what they want to hear. Oh, everything's going to be fine, right? You're going to get that job. You'll get that promotion. Your kids will come back. Everything's going to be just fine. Where are these things coming from? Their own minds. They're not coming from God. Look at verse 21. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them away from their evil and from the evil of their deeds. Look at verse 32 behold i am against those who prophesy lying dreams declares the lord and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when i did not send them or charge them so they do not profit this people at all declares the lord these are the kinds of prophets that paul is talking about back in colossians right you go to them and they just tell you what you want to hear You're gonna see the victory. You're gonna get that promotion. But they're really appealing to just earthly, sensuous ideas of success and victory. Telling you what's gonna happen in the future. Good things are coming your way. You will be healed. But it's just a product of their own imagination. It doesn't have anything to do with God. One time, Rhonda was studying in a coffee shop uh, before we were married. And she was reading her Bible, and this woman came up to her and said, you know, God, basically, God told me you're going to be a lawyer. Now, Rhonda is not a lawyer. Uh, she became a social worker, and now she's at home with our wonderful children. But that can be an intimidating statement for someone to come up to you and say, God told me that you're going to be XYZ. I mean, what are you supposed to do with that? right? Is Rhonda now being disobedient because she didn't go and pursue being a lawyer because someone told her that God told them, God told her that she'd be a lawyer. But that can also be intimidating, right? Well, God speaks to you like that? He tells you what you're supposed to do? It's like, well, he doesn't do that for me. What's wrong with me? What am I missing? And this has been a temptation throughout history that there's always so-called prophets that are going to tell you these things and they're hearing from the Lord for you when in reality, they're speaking from their own minds. Jonathan Edwards, during the Great Awakening, you know, when, people, when God was doing a radical work, saving hundreds and thousands of people, people got caught up in this, though, this idea that God would speak to them directly. And Jonathan Edwards said, many godly persons have undoubtedly in this and other ages exposed themselves to woeful delusions by an aptness to lay too much weight on impulses and impressions. A good friend of Edwards, George Whitfield, his wife became pregnant in 1743, and he was studying, he was reading in the scripture about John the Baptist, and he felt like God was telling him, my wife is pregnant, we're going to have a son, I'm going to name him John, and he's going to be a great preacher. Well, his wife gave birth to a son, they named him John, and he died four months later. And it's like, not only do you have the devastation of losing a child at four months, but now you have this somehow this idea that what did what was God doing? Right? Why did God do this? Why did He promise this and not deliver? It's like, well, he never promised that. Later on, Whitfield said that I misapplied several texts of Scripture. Two years later, he said, Many good souls, both among clergy and laity, for a while mistook fancy for faith and imagination for revelation. Wow. These were products of his own mind. And yet he attributed them to God. And people still do the same thing today. And so there's people that'll come and they'll say, I have a vision for your life. Or you come to me and I'll prophesy over you the things that God is gonna tell me about you. And Paul says, don't have anything to do with that. That's not the way that God works, right? God works through his word. He works through his son in his word. We have everything we need about Christ in his word. One commentator says, I have Christ, I need nothing more. If I need a vision of Christ, if I want to gaze into his glory and be transfixed, what do I do? I open the pages of scripture where his glory explodes on my mind. That's all I need. And it is not a distant glory that I see, it is the very glory that shines in my heart by the work of God, for Christ is mine and I am his. Jonathan Edwards said, I would rather have 15 minutes of the Spirit revealing to me the glories of Christ in his word than one year of visions and prophecies. You have everything you need in Christ. You don't need to seek some spiritual experience, some word from the Lord, some prophet or anything like that. You have everything you need in Christ. Now, can God give visions? It's like, of course he could. Could God speak in an audible voice? Of course he can. He's done it in the past. But what's Paul's point? Why seek those things when you have Christ? Right? You have the fullness of God in Christ. Why do I need a voice when I have the access to the fullness of God in his son? That's what you need. And so Paul says this, let no one disqualify you, telling you you need those things. And he uses this word, disqualify, this idea, let no one rob you of your prize, But really, that's kind of, he's playing off of what the opponents are saying, right? These people that have these experiences, they're saying, you're missing out. You're missing out on the prize. You know, if you really love God, he'd give you these experiences, or he'd speak to you in these ways. And Paul says, don't fall for that. Let no one disqualify you. You know who the person missing out on is? The person who gives into those kinds of things. The person who's robbed of their prize is the person who looks to visions and experiences. That's the person that Paul says is robbed of their prize. They're robbed of Christ. Because if you go searching after these experiences, what are you not searching after? Christ! And I have seen it time and time again. It's inevitable. If you ever get focused on a vision or something like that, that becomes your whole focus. And where are you not looking anymore? To Christ. In verse 19, what does that do to you? It cuts you off from the head. It severs you from Christ. Right? God's pouring out divine blessing, grace after grace after grace, as long as you stay connected to Christ. If I go over here looking for a vision or an experience, what am I no longer enjoying? Grace after grace after grace flowing to me from Christ through his word. You're the one who's going to be robbed if you go after those things. And so stay focused on Christ. And remember who's telling you this, right? Paul's writing this letter. Paul had visions. Paul prophesied. Paul spoke in tongues. Paul heard the audible voice of Christ. He received direct revelation from God. He even had healing handkerchiefs that people touched and they were healed. And Paul says, do not seek those things. You stay on Christ. Don't be intimidated by people that say they have these experiences. You stay on Christ. In Christ, you have everything that you need. If you begin to think that true spirituality is seeing visions or receiving prophecies, you will be disfrauded, defrauded, disqualified. You'll be the one missing out on all the blessings that are yours in Christ. Because again, if you focus on those things, Christ becomes less important his word becomes less important, and it cuts you off from the source of growth. So don't be intimidated. Stick to Christ, stick to his word. So there's shadow over substance in verse 16. There's a sensuous mind versus a life-giving head in verse 18. And then in verses 20 to 23, there are self-made rules versus Christ-wrought power. Verse 20, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used according to human precepts and teaching. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, asceticism, severity to the body, but they are of no Value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is where Paul is his most direct, right? The first two categories, it was don't let someone judge you, don't let someone disqualify you, right? These are people that they're following Christ, but there's these voices that are coming in. Paul's telling them, stay the course, stay on Christ, don't get distracted. In verse 20, it's a little different, right? Verse 20, he's starting to talk to some of the people in the church that they're giving into this. They're buying into this idea that I can, through rules and through rituals, through experiences, I can gain greater access to God, right? They're saying, I'm not going to touch, I'm not going to handle, I'm not going to taste. You know, these are rules that he says they're self-made. These are not even things that God asked anyone to do. These are just things made up by men to draw them closer to God. And again, we have, experience, we have examples throughout history of things like this, All right? I'm going to be a monk, I'm going to take a vow of silence. I'm going to go live by myself. I'm going to isolate myself from the world. Did God say to ever do any of those things? No. Who made those up? We did. And we make up rules like that all the time. right? I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to dance. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to do this. Now, there may be wisdom in any and all of those things, but at the heart of it, they're not the things that are going to make you close To God. They're not the things that are going to cause your growth. Right? Paul says it plainly. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, what's going on? Why do people buy into this? Because they confuse cause and effect. Right? They think if I don't do these things, that I'll change. And what's what's Paul's whole argument? You've already changed. Christ has changed you. He's transformed your heart. Following these rules is not going to change you. You've already changed. Just walk in the change that he's already accomplished in you. Don't worry, you don't need a rule to change you. Christ has already done that. He'll continue to do that as long as you stay focused on him. But Paul says we're all prone to that. In this church, there were already people that were buying into this. And so with Paul, I say, if you're someone that has been drawn toward legalistic tendencies, obeying these rules, judging your brother and sister, following these rituals, going after these certain experiences, like Paul, I'll ask you one question. Why? Why? Look at verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental things of the world, why? Why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? You have everything you need with Christ. You died with him. He delivered you. He freed you. He's going to give you victory. He's done it all. So why are you pulling things back into your own hands? Why are you making it DIY religion again? It's not. Christ did everything. CDI, that doesn't have the same ring to it, or CDE. But Christ did it all. We don't do do do-it-yourself anymore christ did everything we walk in his fullness these other things they cannot deliver they are of no value no value they'll cut you off from christ do not pursue them i mean we need to take this warning seriously because like i said the rest of our lives we're going to be intimidated when we see perceived results in somebody else Like, someone's going to come and say, I followed these steps, I read this book, and it totally changed my life. And we're going to be tempted to agree with them and to say, I need to read that book. I need to follow those steps. No, you have everything you need in Christ. Or you'll be tempted to think that the answer is in some ritual, some experience, or some vision. But if you get caught up in those things, if you start seeking those things instead of seeking Christ, you will go nowhere you will not grow. You'll stay defeated. You'll stay unchanged. If you think growth and a full experience of God is in anything other than Christ, you will not grow. You know, people have spent years and thousands of dollars on empty promises. Don't waste years of your life. Don't waste thousands of dollars. On things that can't deliver. You have everything you need. All the riches you need are in Christ. They're yours. They're yours for free. You don't have to pay anybody. Enjoy them now. But you know what's even worse than the fact that you won't grow if you pursue these things? Is that you'll start to think that Christ didn't work. That's the real devastating part of all of this. That you'll want to change, and so you'll start doing these different rules and rituals, and you won't change, and you'll think Christ failed. But Christ didn't fail. The ritual failed. The rule failed. The vision failed. Christ didn't fail because Christ can't fail. He won't, right? We just sang about it. He won't. He can't. Right? You'll say like, well, I tried Christ, but it didn't work. You didn't try Christ. You tried a ritual. You tried a rule. You tried a program, but you didn't try Christ because if you tried Christ, you'd be different because Christ doesn't fail. He always comes through. He always causes change. He always gives victory. He gives spiritual growth. So don't ever pursue these things because you'll start to think that Christ fails when he doesn't fail. He never fails. And so stay on Christ. Don't give in. They will not help these things. They'll sever you from the source of real growth. They'll set you back. And so what should you do instead? Three steps to guaranteed supernatural growth. One, stay focused on Christ. Two, pursue no other steps. Three, seriously, just walk in Christ. Stay on Christ. That's the answer. Now, what does this look like? Because I mean, I agree, sometimes life doesn't feel very abundant, right? Like maybe I'm not experiencing victory right now, maybe this trial is going on a lot longer than I wished. Things are hard, it doesn't, I don't feel joy, I don't feel peace. Again, those are the most tempting times when you'll be tempted to go to other things other than Christ. And Paul says, don't do it, don't give in. You stay focused on Christ. But I think sometimes our idea of the abundant life is different than Christ's idea of the abundant life. And that's why we're not feeling like our life is very abundant, right? We equate the abundant life equals a life without problems, But Christ didn't promise that. What did Christ promise? Christ promised to uphold you even in the midst of your trials. The abundant life is I can have joy even when my circumstances tell me I shouldn't. That's the abundant life. That's what Christ is promising. And if you go after him, if you seek after him, he'll give you joy in the midst of the trial. He may not take it away because he wants to show you just how good he is. I didn't know he could sustain me when life is this hard, but he can, right? So you stay focused on him. You know, another thing I think we misunderstand is what did Christ save us for? And again, we think, oh, Christ saved me so that I would go to heaven. Christ saved me so that I wouldn't have any trouble in this life. It's like, no, Christ saved you so that you could join him in his total triumph over sin and the enemy in this life right? He wants you to join him on his mission in the world, right? All authority has been given into me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, right? He saved you. He has, he's totally transformed you, but he's also totally transformed your purpose for living in this world, and so walk in those things. Walk in the new you. Walk in your new purpose. Look back at verse 2, or verse 6 in chapter 2, Colossians, verse 6. In some ways, this verse 2.6 really just encapsulates really all of what he's trying to say in Colossians in one verse. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Walk in him. Everything that you've received already in Christ, you walk in that. Right. So what have you received? Again, we looked at it. Tim preached on it. You received a total transformation. Walk in the new you. That's what chapter 3 is going to be all about right? Part of being the new you is that Christ has given you a new wardrobe, right? We went to goodwill a lot these last couple of weeks trying to put together the kids' Halloween costumes. What do you do when you go to a goodwill, right? You donate your old clothes and you leave them there, right? You don't take your old clothes there and then you put them back on and then you walk out of the goodwill. No, you leave the old clothes there and you walk out with some new clothes, right? Some of you are still walking around in your old clothes, right? Right? And Jesus says, you need to take off those old clothes. Right? That's what he's going to say in chapter 3. The tattered rags that you wore before you knew Christ. Jealousy, anger, slander, lying, immorality, fear. Put those clothes off. Take those clothes off. Go to the goodwill. Leave them there. Right? Hopefully no one else will buy those clothes. But no. It's the time that you enjoyed your new wardrobe. Walk in these things. Kindness. Put these on. Compassion. Patience forgiveness, love, peace. Those are yours. They're yours in Christ, and he wants you to walk in them. He invites you to walk in them, right? We need like a Christian stitch fix, you know, where it's like every month, you know, a new wardrobe gets sent your way. It's like, oh, what is it this week? Oh, it's compassion. I'm going to put that on, right? And I'm going to throw away these old clothes. This week it's patience. It's forgiveness, right? That's what he's given you, and so put it on, wear it, and enjoy it. He changed you. He's going to continue to change you. Again, not primarily going to try to change your circumstances, but he'll change you in the midst of your circumstances if you walk in him. So walk in his total transformation and then walk in his total triumph. That's what Paul's going to go on to say later in chapter 4. Look at chapter 2, though. 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Do you believe that? That Christ on the cross totally triumphed over every enemy and now it puts them to open shame. Right? He wants to shame the devil by rescuing people from this world. And he invites you to be a part of that. Come with me. Come on this rescue mission with me. We'll go into the world. We'll grab people out of it, and there's not a thing Satan can do to stop us. I mean, think about Matthew 16, 18. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Do you believe that? Right? Do you understand the picture that Jesus is drawing there when he says that? Here's how we think. We think we're the fortress, and the world is bad, and the world's trying to get in to our fortress and we're trying to keep out the bad stuff. Jesus says, no, it's the other way around. Satan's trying to huddle in his fortress. He's trying to gain, hold on to as much ground as he possibly can. And Jesus says, his gates will not prevail against me. I've triumphed over him in the cross. And if you go out with me and you preach the gospel, you will get to see those gates come down. Again, not the gates of my hard circumstances. No, the gates the devil's trying to put up to stop people from getting saved. You'll get to see those gates come down if you walk out in Christ's victory. That's what you'll get to see. Walk in his triumph. He's totally transformed you. He's totally triumphed over the world. You just get to walk in his victories. Stay focused on him. Don't give in to anything else don't give into rules, don't give into experiences, don't give into rituals, stay on Christ, and this will be your life. Two diagnostic questions as we close. How do I know? How do I know if I'm staying focused on Christ, or if I'm starting to go down some of these other paths? I think the first question is kind of the obvious one. It's this, am I enjoying Christ? Is he my preoccupation? Like when I'm sitting in traffic and I've got nothing to do, do my thoughts flow to everything that I have in Christ? That he's rescued me, that he's transformed me, that he's changed my heart, that I get to put on this new wardrobe, that I have purpose in this world, and that I didn't deserve any of it, and he gave it to me. Are those the thoughts that occupy your mind? That's the first question. The second question is this, do I enjoy God's people? Now, why do I say that? Well, look back at verse 16. If you're starting to go down the path of legalism or experience, what do you start doing in verse 16? Let no one pass judgment on you. You start judging other people. They, didn't do, they don't do what I do. Oh, they're, not, they're doing this, and I don't think you should do that. And I judge them. Right? Why? Because I have a legalistic mindset that I've thought my experience with God is I do this, I do this, I don't do this, I don't do that. Right? Verse 18. Let no one disqualify you insisting on visions and these various things. Right? If I've given to experiences, I start to insist that everyone else have the same experience that I do. You don't speak in tongues? You haven't seen visions? You haven't heard from the Lord? And I either become proud because I do and you don't, or I become jealous because you do and I don't. But either way, I don't grow in love for God's people. Lastly, if you get focused on rules, you'll start to avoid the people that don't do the same rules that you do. Because they're bad. They're bad people and I stay away from bad people. So how do I know if I'm trusting in Christ or if I'm trusting in something else? Two questions, am I enjoying Christ and am I enjoying his people? And if you're doing both of those, that means you're staying focused on Christ. If you're not doing one of those, let God reveal to you what you're trusting in rather than in Christ alone. You know, my wife Rhonda, when she got saved, she had the thought that many of us have when we get saved, that I'm saved, Jesus paid for all my sins, I'm never gonna sin again. And we find out very soon you know, that that's not true and that we do struggle with sin even after we're saved. And so she started dealing with a particular sin And she kind of had that thought, am I missing something? Like, I wonder what went wrong. And so what did she do? She did what many of us do. She DIY'd it for a little bit, right? Try harder, work smarter, get me a new strategy. And what happened to her sin? It got worse. And so finally, she reached out to an elder at the church she was going to at the time. And she expected this elder would say like, what's wrong with you? Why are you struggling with this sin? You know, she expected disappointment and correction, but she was willing to endure disappointment and correction in hopes that this elder would give her the secret, right? The three steps that would deliver her, that would finally get her over this stubborn sin. And you know what that elder told her? He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And he said that God loves you He gave you his son to pay for your sins. He gave you his son to transform your heart. Christ really has set you free from the sins that had you in bondage. He gave you a new life and a new purpose, and he'll continue to strengthen you and guide you and supply you with every grace that you need for the rest of this life. She wanted steps. She got no steps. She got you have Christ. And in Him, you have everything that you need. So look nowhere else. You're not going to get any more spiritual than walking with Christ. You're not going to see any more supernatural results than staying close to Him. Pursue no other steps. Delight yourself in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful. We're so undeserving of all these blessings that we receive from Christ. It's hard to fathom everything that we've received in him, and we can't fathom everything that we've received in him. We've received forgiveness of our sins. We've received eternal life. Our hearts have been radically transformed and exchanged. They've been transplanted. Our hearts of stone are gone, and you've given us a heart of flesh. You enable us to walk in newness of life, From the fullness of your Son, we receive grace after grace after grace after grace. He is all that we need. Lord, protect us from these missteps that would sever our growth and sever us from Christ, remove us from Christ. Lord, help us to stay focused on Him. Lord, help us not to put our trust in a rule or a ritual or a vision or an experience. May we only trust in what Christ has done for us. And may we see supernatural results. May we see a growth that only comes from God. May we see it in joy in the midst of hard circumstances. May we see it in love in the midst of sinful people. May we be a picture of Christ in this world. May we see people saved as a result. May we go forth with the gospel, trusting that Christ has triumphed, that Christ is still rescuing people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Help us to walk in him, we pray in Christ's name, amen.